Hi, I'm Tiffany. And I'm Lindsay. And this is Luminol, Luminol Cocktail. Cocktail. So, uh, I was scrolling through my Instagram, mm-hmm. and I found a beautiful body pillow that I need to get, because it's shaped <laughs> just like a dead body. What? And it looks like a dead body that's, like, in a bag and, like, wrapped up. Oh, my God. Gonna... I need that for my bench. <laughs> you do! <laughs> Lindsay just got... The most beautiful window seat. I'm so fucking jealous. Alex built it. Well, he, it, he built it. He built. <laughs> With bookshelves, you know not what? just the seat. Get that bitch a library. Bitches love libraries. It's true for a reason. He did. <laughs> he did. <laughs> he went and did it. He knew what he was doing. So yeah, you have to get this body pillow. I will post a picture of it on the Instagram. Perfect. But it's super, super, hold on. That's the dead person. <laughs> It's supposed to just look like a body that's, like, wrapped in canvas or a tarp or something. It's pretty, uh, pretty interesting. I don't think I've ever had a body pillow. My sister had one that I used to steal from her when I was a kid. Oh. I think this is episode 10, by the way. Oh my god, really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure this is episode 10. Grown so much. A little baby podcast proud of us for making it to episode 10. I told the lady at the library today, because so I went and I'm wearing my like murdery face mask that's got like the knives and skulls. Yes. Yeah, all that. And she compliments it. And I was like, thank you. And I was like, I got it because I've got a true crime podcast thing. Yes. And so we were talking about that. And I was like, that's also why these books are about serial killers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Not because of me. <laughs> I promise. I am super normal. That's a fun conversation. Yeah. Also, we do need to shout out another Facebook review. We have another one? You didn't tell me about this. We have this. another one. You're so welcome. I'm surprising you with it now. Uh, yeah. Is there also, should I not be attached to that Facebook? You definitely got sent an invite to. I sent you an invitation to be a person who can also edit on it. That's okay, We'll have though. to look into this later. Okay. <laughs> Anyways. So, yeah. So, we have another reviewer. Don't read it if it's mean. It's not. Okay. <laughs> So yeah, our other reviewer is Krista. She says she just listened to her first episode. The hosts were excellent. Thank you. Appreciate you. We are. Love how stories are broken down, clear and super easy to follow along. (laughs) Wow, because I just said we're not that. I know, right? that's nice. Also, this is for you, Lindsay. Oh, boy. Audio level was great, which is sometimes hard to nail on podcasts. Oh, my God. I'm going to kill everyone in our lives who has said otherwise. (laughs) You've been getting a lot of flack. Our audio sounds great in the last episode, though. So I don't know if it's this thing, if it's the <laughs> curtains. We've been making some changes. It's loud. When I say we've been making some changes, I Lindsay's mean... Lindsay's been decorating her house. Lindsay got some uh, <laughs> curtains, and then we have our little foam organizer box friend. You and... know, I like this box. It's a comfort now. Oh, it can go on my bench. It can go... All of this will go on your bench one day. <laughs> That's exciting. I love you, Krista. She's very happy. I like that she likes the audio levels because I do spend all of my time editing I know. It. <laughs> I saw that. That's honestly why I didn't tell you beforehand because I saw that and I was like, you know what? That's for Lindsay. That makes me happy. Lindsay should get when the joy When my work from is this. acknowledged. Your work is acknowledged and appreciated. Thank you. When I was quarantining, I watched a documentary about Tiffany's. That sounds fun. It was actually really informative. Have you watched Unsolved Mysteries yet? No. I hate you. <laughs> Here's the thing. I was working on so much stuff for our podcast. Oh, right. You can't you can't double up too much on true crime. Well, it's not even that. It's out. that it's not even the burnout. It's that I'm like, I want the ideas that we have to be our ideas. 
So while I'm working on oh. our podcast stuff, I can't be <laughs> listening to somebody else's true crime shit. Oh, because I don't want to be subconsciously influenced in any way, shape, or form. Mm. I I was when I was making the ideas for seasons one and two. That's I fair. was sitting here watching the ID channel, and I'm okay with that. It's just while I'm actually like writing or researching. We should uh, do monthly bonus things where you watch something from, like, our childhood. <laughs> Just talk about it. The fun. Land Before Time. Oh, man. I'll get... I can't watch the first one, though. I was gonna say, <laughs> I'll get, like, 30 seconds in and be like, I can't do this. I saw a tattoo that someone got the... What is it? A tr- a, Tree like, star? Yeah, the leaf. Oh. And it's got, like, a puddle in it. And it's got a little foot, like, face or something. I almost cried. You're not making her. <laughs> I'm really emotional right now because Did you before time. My favorite one, which might have been, well, like, I remember liking the first one a lot, but then when my siblings got older, we would watch the one where they go through, like, the deep waters. You know that Big, <laughs> big, big, big water. <laughs> Me and my siblings would sing that all the time. And, like, I also would have my cousin Maddie over, and we would just walk around. We just walked all the time. And yeah. we would call our dog Chomper because we chased after butterflies, yes. like, chomping at it and stuff. Oh, that's, I just want to watch that. I'm going to watch that tonight while I'm alone. It's <laughs> fair. So, this woman was born on November 4th, 1905 as Nancy Hazel. Later, she would become known, instead of Nancy, Nanny. Nancy Hazel was born in Alabama. She was one of five children and had apparently a super controlling asshole dad. Part of her father's controlling behavior included sometimes pulling his kids just out of school so that they could come work on his farm so he could keep a closer eye on them. I'm not sure whether it was like, I'm pulling you out of school for the rest of the school year kind of situation, or if it was like, I'm here, you're not going to school today, you're gonna come home and work. Either way, it left with Nancy struggling with literacy her whole life. She mm-hmm. didn't really have the greatest education. At one point when she was around seven years old, her family took a train trip to go visit family in another part of Alabama. At one point, the train supposedly stopped abruptly, and she fell forward and hit her head on a metal bar on the seat in front of her. After that, and pretty much the rest of her life, she suffered from severe headaches, blackouts, and depression, which she blamed on this accident. Mm -hmm. Some good old head trauma starting the game strong. Because she had a poor reading ability, she would try and find things that did interest her that she could work on her reading and writing skills with. Mm -hmm. Um, So she would be more motivated. And what she found to motivate her was reading her mom's romance magazines. And yeah, yeah. You know what? She, She knew what she was about. And she just went for it. She had actually a special interest the older she got in the lonely hearts column (laughs) you know where people write in letters and are like hello i'm a single man yes and i have a beautiful dog and his name is skip and i live on a beautiful farm and i've just been so unlucky in love and they have like pen pals and shit i think part of the reason why she was so like into romance novels Mm -hmm. was because it gave her an escape from kind of her shitty home life also because like her dad like i said was controlling kind of an asshole so wasn't like the greatest role model and she was just kind of like oh let's look at what else is out there and reading about you know men who are like madly in love with women and doing these grand romantic gestures was really interesting to her another way her dad was strict though is even though he 
would let her read all these things. He was very um, narrow-minded, obviously, in the other ways. And like I said, strict in that he was very particular about what clothes she and her sisters were allowed to wear. He wouldn't let them go to certain social events. And he wouldn't let them wear makeup either. His whole theory was that, you know, if he basically kept them trapped and quote-unquote unattractive enough, no men would ever fuck with them. Which, unfortunately, turned out to not be the case because Nanny was reportedly molested on several occasions. Mm -hmm. So there's just a bunch of, like, fucked up shit going on in this family. When Nanny was 16, she got married to her first husband, a man named Charlie Braggs. She and Charlie didn't super know each other for a super long time. They actually only knew each other for a few months when they got married. And her dad was like, okay, what else? You're getting married by Felicia. You're being an honest woman. Sounds beautiful. Good plan. Now I don't have to deal with you anymore. Charlie Bragg's mother mm-hmm. moved in with them when they got married. Oh, good. So that's always great when your mother-in-law moves in. She was apparently super controlling of the newlyweds. And Nanny wasn't allowed to set things up the way she wanted to. She wasn't allowed to run her household. It was her mom's house, her mother-in-law's household. Ah. Nanny and Charlie had four daughters together in as many years. So four and four, which sounds like a goddamn nightmare to me. In spite of having four children together, Nanny and Charlie were super unhappy in their marriage. And Charlie would disappear for days on end. No one knew where he was. No one knew what was going on. He was just out of there. So Nanny started drinking more and took up smoking as a habit. Real fast, what year is this? This is in the past. We don't have a year? Just in the past or you don't know? It's in the past. It's just in the past. (laughs) I could get the year. Hold on. She was born in 1905. What is 1905 plus 16? Well, she was 16 and then she had four kids. So that's 20. So it would be about 1925. Okay, thank you. I was trying to figure out where we were. It's in in the past, damn it, Lindsay. So 1925. About 1925. Ish. Ish. So in 1927, if you want to just let me get to the next sentence. Why didn't you just say that? Let's not talk about it. Because I don't know what the next sentence was, okay? Okay. I'm speaking from the heart, not my note. In 1927, Nanny and Charlie's two middle daughters died of suspected food poisoning. I think I covered this one hmm? in, like, the past. With no. the No, no, no. I'm thinking of a joke because of the lady that killed all of her kids oh, and shit. Yeah. Psychic. Yeah. Yeah, so they're like, oh, food poisoning. Damn. Well, Charlie was like, fuck no, this bitch killed them. He... That was a quick... Uh Uh-huh. Okay. He thought Nanny was shady as fuck and thought she killed him, so he left. Now, you remember, they have four daughters. The two in the middle are dead. When Charlie left, he took the oldest daughter, left the youngest with her. Why? Because he's a piece of shit. Well, so the youngest daughter was, I guess, about a year old at this time, or even a little younger. And I guess he was just kind of like, I'm not fucking with the baby right now. So leave this kid here, take my oldest one, and peace out, because I'm pretty sure this bitch is a murderer. So he's a piece of shit. I don't like this dude at all. It's also 1927. I still don't like him. 
No, I'm just saying people probably weren't right. the best. Right. But still. <laughs> the rough times. Fuck that guy. Wasn't another pandemic occurring at this time as well? Probably. Since Nanny was alone and essentially a single mom at this point, she got a job at a cotton mill to support the two of them. About a year later, though, Charlie came back. Oh. And was like, sup, here's my new girlfriend. She has her own kid. So we need to get a divorce so that me and my new girlfriend can get married. And I'm actually going to leave this older kid here with you so I can just leave with my new girlfriend and her kid mm-hmm. and just have this whole new family. I feel like she she should just kill Charlie. I feel like that would have been a great choice because he's a fucking piece of shit. Charlie gave Nanny their oldest daughter back and gave her full custody. Even though he would always stand by his statement that the reason he left her was because he was scared of her. Because he was scared that she was going to kill him the way that she had killed their two daughters. He should have. Yeah. Now that Nanny was a single lady. With two kids. Mm-hmm, she would go back to her enjoyment of the Lonely Hearts column. She met a man through it named Robert Frank Harrelson. He wooed her with his romantic poetry and just won her over with all the nice things. And apparently she mailed him a cake, which, like, how the fuck do you do that? She baked him a cake and mailed it to him. So all I'm thinking is, like, a fruitcake, but how do you make a fruitcake? And also, who wants to get a fruitcake? Could you, like, I don't even know how things worked. How do you mail things at all back in the... 1927. I mean, the same way you mail them now, but, like, I feel like it would have been really even more expensive to mail a cake back then. It's actually just a guy on foot. She Just carrying. Plot twist. This dude was actually across town, and it was just the local Lonely Hearts column. (laughs) And she just hired her neighbor, Jeff, to run this cake over there. Hey, Jeff, real fast. Uh, Here is, like, I mean, I don't know what. Here's, like, two nickels. Right. (laughs) She's a single lady. It's true. (laughs) Doing my best. (laughs) Well, she would not be a single lady for long because her fucking right. Her cake won this man over. A love cake. Uh huh. They ended up marrying in 1929. She got hers a man. They moved because factually, he wasn't across town. He was actually in Jacksonville, Florida. Jeff is still making that trip. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. Fuck y'all. So, even though this dude's first name was Robert, he went by his middle name Frank, which don't know why that was. But do people do that? I don't know. It's just weird to me. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. People just go by their first name. Yeah. I go by my first name. I go my- do you know someone that doesn't go by their first name? I'm thinking about that right now. I mean, now. like, I know I go do. by shortened versions of their first name. I know somebody who doesn't go by their first name and goes by a nickname of their middle name. Like, doesn't even fuck with either of their names. Oh. So, yeah. yeah I don't I don't know anyone. I <laughs> Anyways, this guy goes by Frank. Turns out Frank wasn't the greatest dude either. What? Who could have guessed it? I'm just saying... If they have to resort to, like, pen pals to find love, maybe that's a red flag. Kind of like Tinder. I And there's a reason why I said before, committed relationships for the win. Don't fuck with any of that. Also, everybody, 
who are struggling on Tinder or like living their best lives on Tinder, this quarantine has fucked that all up. Just saying. Mm-hmm. Can't be playing that Tinder game right now, not safely. In a way I think that- people are doing it anyways. Do you have you seen the stats for America? <sighs> anyways. Frank was an alcoholic who had a criminal record of assault. Mm. But he would actually be her longest husband. Oh. They were married for 16 years. Jeez. Even though he was pretty shitty. So during Nanny's marriage to Frank, her oldest daughter, Melvina, gave birth to a baby. She actually had a couple kids. Um, Named what? Melvina. Okay, that's what I thought you said. Yes, it was. <laughs> I thought of Melvina. <laughs> I just look at it and I'm like, damn, they just took the boy's name of Melvin, which is already a struggle, and just added an A. That's not okay, guys. But anyways, maybe she really liked it. It's a liked, family name. Maybe she really liked it. Cousin Melvin was a, was a big part of Nanny's life. I guess so. So much so that she had to name her daughter. Probably gave her that cake recipe, too. <laughs> He's the one who gave I her... I like to create these backstories. He's the one who gave her the nickels yeah. to pay for it to be delivered. <laughs> Here are two nickels. <laughs> so Melvina gave birth to a baby. Now, this is still in the time... That when women are in labor, they would basically, like, sedate the fuck out of them. And they would give them, like, ether while they're in labor. So, you know, they're not conscious for the birth of their children. She was kind of coming around from her post-delivery drugs and saw her mother, Nanny, stick a hat pin into the baby's head. Mm. Yeah, it's really uncomfortable. Oh, Nanny. I don't know why this sounds so familiar. I almost did this one. Yes. That's just what it is. I'm like, geez, why are all these names so fucking familiar what? to me? This is all just coming back to me. Wait, like, I haven't heard this. Like, I don't remember hearing this. That's funny. <laughs> well, Nanny told Melvina, oh, well, the baby's just dead. Like, didn't really give any. I mean, any... babies did die quite often. Exactly. So then. I think she was kind of like, oh, no, this kid's dead. Sorry. And the doctors never gave a real explanation of the baby's death either. But Melvina was like, "Mm, nope, this bitch killed my kid. But Melvina, like I said, had other kids. She had a son named Robert. Who believed this chick, though? She was just coming out of, like, an ether state of mind. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. Everybody was like, no, you're not, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, even her sister Mm. was like, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, you were fucked up. And she's like, no, I saw what I saw. And my kid's dead. Yeah, that's good enough for me. Yeah. Even though Melvina believed this, and she and Nanny did drift apart, Nanny would still sometimes babysit. Well, her other kid, Robert. I have a note here that's pretty rude, but like Melvina obviously got her childcare instincts from her dad. Like, I think you killed someone. I'm gonna still leave my other kid with you, though. Times were tough. We were in the 30s now, but still. I think you're a murderer. Here's my kid. I mean, it costs two nickels to deliver a cake <gasps> across town. Two whole nickels. That's like $100. Well, I'm just saying. This was a poor choice. Well, obviously. Uh-huh. Because after one major fight that Melvina and Nanny had while Nanny was watching Robert, he mysteriously died from asphyxiation. Mysterious asphyxiation. Also... Nanny had taken a life insurance policy on him for $500, which she collected. What is that in today's money? A lot. You didn't look it up, did no. you? No. <laughs> no, I did not. I just like to 
know. I I'm just saying it was five hundred dollars in the nineteen thirties. Okay, well, I'm, or, I'm, I'm sorry, nineteen forties. A walking translator. Figure it out, Lindsay. <laughs> Currency. Figure it out. At the time of this five hundred dollar insurance policy, Nanny and Frank were still together. At the end of that summer, some of you who actually know about history or other, the summer of 1945, if you know about history, uh, Japan surrendered in August to the American troops. Frank was super patriotic and celebrated a lot. He was super... I forgot about Frank, I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah, Frank is still in the picture, just sitting in the back drinking. But now he's drinking, like, a lot because he's... He's patriotic. Yeah. He's celebrating. That's what we're calling it anyways. He was super hype that America won this war. After a night of celebration, though he was drunk and came home and raped Nanny. And after 16 years of dealing with a shit, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. She found Frank's corn whiskey. It was buried in their backyard... So she dug it up, put some rat poison in it, and just let Frank drink to his little heart's content. Why was this buried in the backyard? Because it was illegal to have at that time. Uh, and Frank died later that night. Mm. So it was pretty, pretty immediate. Also, in case you don't know, rat poison does not make for a good death. Depending on the active ingredient, it can kill in a variety of ways. Most commonly, they contain anticoagulants, which cause massive hemorrhage which will lead to death from blood loss. It can also contain strychnine, which... Which what? <laughs> which what? Where is it? Where are we at? It causes severe conclusions. <laughs> <laughs> severe conclusions. Severe conclusions. Did you mean And in that life, Convulsions? Wrote, it does. But it's, I'm dying. Because it concludes that life real quick. Anyways, Frank's in the backyard with all of his conclusions. <laughs> Strychnine, now that I've rectified this typo, can cause severe convulsions 15 to 20 minutes after ingestion. And it does cause internal bleeding too. So in both cases, people go into shock from the massive blood loss, which can cause difficulty breathing, sweating, and loss of consciousness. Which, in Frank's case, they might have been like, oh, this dude like is having either like a seizure or is just super fucked up, which the seizure could be caused from being super fucked up, too. Also, I bet Frank was drunk all of the time. Exactly. So no one cared. Right. And so they're like, oh, whatever. This is just some... Drunk Frank. Drunk Frank. Being neighbor, drunk neighbor and... Frank. Being Frank. Well, after Frank's death, Nanny decided to start traveling again. She went to Lexington, North Carolina... Where she met a man named Arlie Lanning. No cake this time? No. Hmm. Well. Dropping the ball there. They did meet through the Lonely Hearts column, though. Oh. Mm -hmm. She hasn't given up on that one. She has not. She keeps circling back. You know, tools. It's good to have tools that we use. Mm -hmm. And we come back to, even though they don't work. Truly. So Nanny and Arlie did get married. And he was basically the same as Frank. He was Frank 2.0. He was a shitty alcoholic. I think Nanny should stop using this column to find men. This is what I'm saying. But at this point, Nanny was done, and so she decided to take out a, a page out of Charlie's playbook, her first husband. Forgot about Charlie. Yeah. So she would just fucking disappear the same way Charlie used to. Okay. First for days at a time, then at, 
at some point she would be gone for months at a time and nobody knew where she was at. Nobody. She actually just shows up in the same place Charlie's at. Oh, hey, you're here. Hey, what what, what you doing? This is where people would go when they want to disappear. Oh, strange. While she was home, though, with Arlie, she would play the part of the perfect housewife and, you know, oh. wait on him, cook his dinner, clean his house, do his laundry, all that shit. Until Arlie died tragically of heart failure. It's pretty tough. I mean, it's the 50s now, I'm assuming. Yeah. It, it should be, yes. <laughs> following this timeline. <laughs> the community rallied together to give Nanny support. But, you know, she needed it as much as possible because, you know, this poor woman. Her husband has tragically died. And if they know her history, well, you know... Some of her children have died, and her previous husband also died. Grandchild has passed. Just a lot of shit has gone on, and this poor woman is having a struggle right now. And the struggle got worse because soon after Arlie's death, the house that they lived in burned to the ground. So this house had been willed to Arlie's sister. So Nanny wasn't going to get it. She was going to have to find a new place to live. No. Were they married? They were. What? But it was not willed to her. What? It, it was a family house. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I didn't. <laughs> Note to self, make sure Alex has hey, me on the will. <laughs> I didn't make the rules. Also, it was a house that he owned. And also, this is the 50s. I mean, yes, I understand. So, I'm following here. There's that. Hey, the way that we're currently going in the social climate, this could be the new reality. So. Oh my god, no. Well, Nanny, even though the house technically wasn't legally hers since they were married, she was able to take out an insurance policy on it. Mm-hmm. So since it burned to the ground, she got the money she needed for her new start. So, you know, it was really a blessing in disguise. And it was really unfortunate, though, for Arlie's sister because now she's just out of the house. Nanny, you know, the beautiful woman that she was, stayed for a little while to help out Arlie's mother until Arlie's mother died in her sleep. What? What? Insanity. After all that, Nanny decided she needed a change of pace and went to stay with her sister, Dovey. But unfortunately, Dovey got sick and was bedridden. And in spite of Nanny's attempts to nurse her back to life, Dovey passed. In spite of all this bad luck, Nanny decided to search for love again. How she, why? why? So she left, though. You'll be proud. She left. The Lonely Hearts column. Oh, okay. what'd she move on to? This time, she joined the Diamond Circle Club, which, what? based on my research, is more for dudes who have money. Okay. Yeah. So she's moved up. She's trying to move up now that she has all that uh, house insurance money. She met a man named Richard Morton. He wasn't an alcoholic, but he was a womanizer and definitely had a wandering eye, which was um, a different kind of problem, but a problem nonetheless. Nanny's mother was also around at the time and decided to move in with her and Richard because apparently that's a theme that happens in Nanny's lives is mothers just move in to her married home. In January of 1953, here you go, Nanny's mother just died, as people do. When they're around Nanny. Three months later, Richard followed suit. Nanny, through some stroke of luck, had five life insurance policies on him. (laughs) What? Mm -hmm. How do you get more than one? Can I 
tell you something that's going to make you happy? Yes. So it was worth $1,400, $1,400. You know how much dollars that is in today's time? I would love to know. $10,600 in today's time. (laughs) You're welcome. Thank you. Mm -hmm. By June of 1953, now her... Mother died in January. Richard was three months later, so February, March, April. Mm-hmm. By June, she decided she was ready for love again. She met and married Samuel Doss from Tulsa, Oklahoma. I think she might have been friends with my uh, Black Widow. I feel like they <laughs> are following the same Tilly playbook or something. <laughs> they hooked up somewhere. <laughs> somewhere along the line. Now, Samuel was super different from all of her previous husbands because, you know, you got a bunch of abusive alcoholics and then, like, this womanizer. Samuel loved him some Jesus. He was super religious, clean cut. He did not like that Nanny read romance novels. Uh, Basically, he didn't like any type of modern, quote-unquote, modern entertainment. He thought it was not worthwhile and she needed to focus on religion and becoming the best person that she could become to serve God and serve in their marriage, you know, because that's what wives do in the 50s. Now, by September of that same year, Samuel was admitted to the hospital with flu-like symptoms. They thought, all right, cool, it's a flu. They diagnosed him with a digestive tract infection. And after treatment... He seemed to be improving, so they discharged him. That was on October 5th. After going home that evening, he died. Just like, hey, you're good, go home, bye. Nanny was super quick to cash in the two life insurance policies that she had on him. Sudden death of Samuel caused his doctors to question what had gone on, and they did order an autopsy. The autopsy revealed massive amounts of arsenic in his system. So yeah, she hung out with your girl. So this was around in the 20s, so. Yeah. This is like- I remember exactly when in the 20s. <laughs> it's been a while since I had to do that research. They were bros. They were definitely bros. They were pen pals, you know? And they met through the Lonely Hearts column. I bet they baked cakes for each other. Mm-hmm. Two nickels, you they know? They immediately arrested Nanny under suspicion of murdering her husband. And after her arrest, she did eventually confess to killing four out of her five husbands. This wasn't a quick confession. She wasn't like, oh, no, you've got me. I killed all these people. Uh-huh. Because at first she was adamant. She was like, no, my conscience is clear. I married all these men because I love them. And I just have bad luck. And there's nothing. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing. <laughs> and there's nothing bad on my conscience that I have to worry about. I've, I haven't done anything wrong. And even at one point she said, I have not poisoned anyone. Now, through the whole interview, she smiled and never gave up her bubbly persona. After hours and hours, more stories pulled in of people who had mysteriously died while they were in her care or around in her life. And eventually, when they started going to her with like, oh, well, your mother-in-law and your grandchildren and your two kids, finally she started to crack. She would falter in her stories and giggle and would straight up be like, "Mm, no, well, I lied about that. So that's cool to do whenever you're in a uh, police investigation. She tried to make excuses, especially in the case of her most recent husband. She said he was trying to change who she was to fit his idea of a good Christian woman. 
and that he was trying to basically stifle her whole personality, get rid of all the things that she loved most, i.e. her romance novels and magazines. Uh, Finally, she did confess to putting rat poison in his coffee. Now, during the confession, she straight up tried to lie and say she'd never even met Richard Morton, which was husband number four. And then she was like, oh, shit, you have info that says I was married to him. So I guess I did lie about that, too. So you guys wouldn't connect that to me. She also confessed what her favorite method of poisoning was, which even though she had most recently used coffee, her favorite thing to do was to put rat poison in prunes and prune juice because it has such a strong taste and because they move so quickly through the digestive system that it gives fairly quick results. Note to self, don't take prunes from people. Exactly. Don't take (laughs) prunes that strangers hand you. She did confess to killing her mother, killing her sister, and her grandson, Robert, as well as Arlie Lanning's mother. Since Samuel was the only one that had died in Oklahoma, that's who they centered their case on and basically used all the rest of her confession Mm -hmm. as additional support for them. Uh, Fun fact. Yeah. Because you know I always have one of those. At the time that Nanny killed Samuel, she was already in correspondence with the man she wanted as husband number six. His name was John Keel, and he was a milkman in North Carolina. They had apparently been exchanging letters. On May 17th, 1955, Nanny pleaded guilty and was sentenced to life in prison. They didn't pursue the death penalty due to the fact that she's a woman, which is bullshit. Because feminism, in all aspects... I agree. I mean, we've had, I think we've had this discussion before, like, where people have used cases where they're like, oh, she has kids. So, like, no, fuck that shit. She's a trash human. Mm -hmm. Nanny was never officially charged with the other seven deaths that she confessed to. And in 1965, she died of leukemia in the Oklahoma State Penitentiary's hospital ward. Nanny did have a couple different names. They classified her as a black widow to begin with because of all of her husbands but due to the multiple murders of other family members she was also called oklahoma's jolly widow the giggling grandma and most notably the lonely hearts killer her first husband charlie bragg was known as the one who got away and though nanny officially confessed to eight murders total it's estimated that the number is way higher there's still the question of the newborn and also the fact that she disappeared for months at a time. Oh, yeah. So they're like, what were you doing? Who were you killing? It, literally. Who what was hitting were you murdered? poisoning? Who ordered or who ate a large amount of prunes in those months? So that is Nanny, who was just like, I'm going to just kill everybody who's around me. We did not say... In the beginning. This topic for this week is female serial killers. Oh, we didn't preface this at all. We just went ham. We did. Yeah, so this is all about female serial killers because, number one, there's not a lot of them. No. And number two, there's not a lot of focus on them just because there isn't a lot of them. People are like, like number one. (laughs) Basically, for point number two, please see number one. They're usually... I think it's just easier to find out information about, like, male serial killers because you can just, like, Google serial killer and here's a list and all the top things are, like, here are You know what? I'm going to see if my book has any 
female serial killers listed in it. All right. All right. So, we're we're just going to get into mine. We're just going to go for it. Yep. It's a good one. I'm excited. It's on Amelia Dyer, the Victorian baby farmer. Da-da-da! Yes. She's actually inspired, like, a rock ballad or something. I don't, well, I don't know. All I don't, right. I did not include it in my research, but yes. Her, at her Come on. shenanigans, you know? Amelia Dyer, okay. Nope. See? Start all over It's again. not just me. <laughs> Amelia Dyer was born the youngest of five in 1838. She had three brothers and one sister in the small village of Pyle Marsh, just east of Bristol, which is just 120 miles from London. Nice. In case you wanted to know any of that information. Well, now I know it. Yeah, you're welcome. Her father was a master shoemaker, and in her younger years, she was a good student who quickly developed a love of literature and poetry. However, her childhood was filled with difficult times due to her mother's mental illness caused by the side effects of typhus. Yeah. (laughs) Make sure I'm saying that right. Amelia witnessed much of her mother's violent fits and vicious beatings while, while she took care of her mother till she died in 1848. After her mother's passing, Amelia went to live with an aunt in Bristol and found work as a corset maker. Her father died in 1859, and her eldest brother, Thomas, inherited the family shoe business. When Amelia was 24, she became permanently estranged from at least one of her brothers, James, and moved into lodgings in Trinity Street, Bristol. I don't know. That sounds like such an English place to live. Well, it, it is English. I know. Victorian times also. It's just, I just want to be there. Oh, you want to be there? I want to be there. Oh, I I don't. I'd like to not be there. I would like to visit. Like, I want to be, like, I want to have a time You can't get vaccines. You would die within moments of stepping foot in the 1800s. It'll be fine. I'm going to see, (laughs) I have an appointment with an internist, (laughs) and we're going to talk about Seeing if I could try it again now that I'm an adult. Immediately. You just get all of the diseases. I would have all the diseases and I would die. <laughs> like we'd go together no in the five seconds. Tiffany's dying because <laughs> she can't get vaccines. No prunes necessary for <laughs> yeah. this one. While Amelia lived there, she married George Thomas, who is 59 years old, and that is 35 years her senior. The pair lied about their ages on the marriage certificate to reduce the age gap, though. George deducted 11 years, while Amelia added 6. This has caused confusion as the fabricated age was believed factual while doing, like, research on the case. Yeah, so it's been really hard to pinpoint when things happened, at what point, because she lied about her age. Okay. Yeah. After the couple was married, Amelia trained as a nurse, which was a respectable profession in Victorian Britain, allowing her to learn useful skills. Amelia learned of an easier way to earn a living from a midwife, Ellen Dane, who told Amelia she could use her own home to provide a place for young women who had conceived out of wedlock and then farming off the babies for adoption or allowing them to die of neglect and malnutrition. Oh, damn. Yes. It's real quick. Okay, can, can I be really honest? Yes. When you were like, she's a baby farmer, I was like, yeah, cool. And I had no idea what the fuck that was. Oh, that's not a good thing. <laughs> baby farming is not a good thing. I figured it was a negative thing, <laughs> but I was just like, I don't know what that is, but okay, I figure I'm going to learn. But holy shit, that's not great. No. In, um, actually, I'll, I will. Yeah. We're going to go into it a little bit about what baby farming is. Excellent. Because I did not know what baby farming was. Oh, good. I'm not the only one. Yes. In Victorian Britain, unmarried mothers struggled to gain an income since the 1834 Poor Law Amendment Act had removed any financial obligation from the fathers of those children. 
in a time when bringing up children without a spouse was highly stigmatized in society as well. Mm-hmm. So, right, like, they would get knocked up, and then the dudes would be like, peace out, motherfucker, I have a different life to go live. Mm-hmm. Fuck you. Yes, and then they'd be left trying to feed and care for a child. In a time when that just couldn't happen. Right, and they already don't have any money for themselves. Right. Yeah. Not a place to be having no babies. Mm-hmm. So this led to the practice of baby farming, which is where individuals such as Amelia Dyer take on the role of an adoption or fostering agent, and in return, those individuals would receive regular payments or a single upfront fee from the baby's mothers. Okay, so, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Basically, like, I'm going to pay you and you're going to get rid of this kid for me. The parents are, uh, they are leaving the child in this person's care. So they are paying them to afford clothes, food, things like that to care for the child. Right. Yeah. Allegedly. That is, that was the purpose of this. Yes. Yes. The harsh societal rules caused for these parents to be exploited, however, for another's financial gain. If a baby had well-off parents who wanted to keep the birth a secret, the single fee might be as much as 80 pounds, which is roughly $102 back then and would now equate to nearly 3,000. Oof. Yes. Um, An additional 50 pounds, which is about $64 then, and now like 1900 would be negotiated if the father wanted to keep his involvement secret as well. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I mean, they do. We are adding up that money. Um, but most often, these mothers were poor and would be expected to pay five pounds, which was $7 then, which is 210 now. Okay. Yeah, so that's usually the case was poor. Right, like poor single women. Mm-hmm. So when elderly George Thomas passed away in 1869 and left Amelia without an income and a small baby girl to provide for, she had a new world of financial possibilities to explore. Also, real quick, the midwife that told Amelia about this while she was training as a nurse, very shortly after had to flee to like the US or something to get away from the suspicion of authorities because of her own participation in baby farming. Oh, so that's a great person to be taking uh, life advice from. Yes. <laughs> so, Amelia opened her home to expectant mothers as she adver- advertised to nurse and adopt a baby in return for a substantial one-off payment to cover the cost of clothing for the child. She met with clients and promised she was a respectable and married woman who would provide nothing less than a safe and loving home for the child. So, these mothers were not wanting... were not giving the children over... With the idea that they were going to be neglected, murdered, right? Whatever. It was basically like you're going to take my kid and you're going to raise it, right? Yeah. Or you're a lot of times, parents, these parents, well, mothers, would reach out to the person who had taken their child to get an update. Some even had the plans of coming back to get the child when oh. they were better off. That actually, yeah, that that occurs. This is just. You know, as someone who works with children, and I actually did take care of, like, a four-month-old until she was about two, this is really tough for me. Dyer would let the child die from starvation and neglect at first. While these children suffered through starvation, Dyer would give them mother's friend, which was an opium-laced syrup. Because when you're starving, you're crying, and you're being noisy, so you're being bothersome. Oh, my God. Yeah. fucking bitch. Yeah. In Victorian times, many children died as a result of these medicines and opium because... because yeah, they'd be overdosed. Actually, no. 
Oh. Most of the deaths were not caused by an opium, like, overdose. Really? Yes. So, and I thought the same thing, that they were actually just dying from, from that. But actually, opium killed far more infants through starvation than overdoses. Because when a baby is fed opium, they do not want to eat. So they die of malnutrition. Damn. Yeah, so that's... Um, that's shady as fuck. So that led... Uh, Amelia to simply resort to faster murder, allowing her to pocket most or all of the paid fee, because that does take time for a child to die of starvation. Right. Well, and then also you have to pay for the medicine Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Amelia evaded the interest of the police for a while, but was eventually caught in 1879 after a doctor was suspicious about the number of child deaths in Dyer's care he had been called to certify. Instead of being convicted of manslaughter or murder, Amelia was sentenced to six months of hard labor for neglect. I don't know what hard labor is. I was going to say, like, usually what I've seen is, like, we're going to make you go out in this field and carry rocks around and right. dig ditches That's or whatever. That's what I was thinking, but, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I didn't look up the practices of hard labor back what then. What the heck, man? <laughs> just just what, what, what money was like. Just the money. Amelia spent several periods in mental institutions because of the time she'd she'd done for hard labor. It, but not because of the fact that she was murdering a bunch of people? That didn't fuck with her psychologically? No. Okay. The hard labor nearly ruined her mentally. Oh, no. That's what she claims. Oh, or, no. Research claims. I don't know. Though her episodes or spells would almost always coincide with the time when it was convenient for her to disappear. So, uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> She was aware of how people behaved to ensure a comfortable existence in asylums due to her past work as an asylum nurse. And also she saw her mother. She knew how to work the system, basically. Though Amelia Dyer's mental instability can be blamed for her substance abuse more often. Because she also used, like, opiate-based products and was an alcoholic, I'm pretty sure. Okay. So, when a governess paid a visit to Amelia and the baby she had left in the care of her... She became suspicious. Quickly, the governess searched for a birthmark that should have been present on the baby's hips or one of the hips or something. But the birthmark was not there. So I'm pretty sure Amelia just brought out a baby. Right. Another baby. So when she didn't find anything, the governess reported Amelia to the proper authorities. However, when the authorities showed up to investigate, Amelia attempted suicide. But her long-term opium abuse built up a tolerance and she survived. Oh, how convenient. Amelia was not prosecuted due to a lack of evidence, though. Oh, my God. Yeah. She learned from her initial conviction of hard labor when she returned to baby farming where she went wrong. So she no longer involved physicians, doctors, there we go, because I'm not going to say that word, and began disposing of the bodies herself, and I can't pronounce that, and I know I'm going to say it wrong. Uh, I think it's the Thames. Thank you. Well, you can just say it for me. <laughs> no, because I, I, I could also be super wrong, but I did watch a lot of British TV, and I'm pretty sure It's that's... a big, famous river in Britain. Yeah, <laughs> that one. So her nature and the extent of her activities prompted unwanted attention, causing her and her family to relocate to different towns to escape suspicion and acquire new business, as she also took up the use of different names. Oh, of course she did. Which also made it hard then to track her down. A lot of the time, when it came to baby farming, even police had a hard time locating missing children that were reported as missing. Yeah. it Because they would change their names, they would skip town, mm-hmm. you know, just no evidence could be found, whatever. 
So when a baby girl's body was recovered from the water, Detective James B.D. Anderson took a close look at the packaging and quickly found a clue. The packaging had a Midland Railway stamp dated October 24th, 1895, and was marked Bristol Temple Meads. Most importantly, Anderson was able to make out the smudged name and address of a Mrs. Thomas, Amelia's married name and former address. So she wrapped up this baby's body in this packaging, dumped it in the river. Yes. Cool. Yeah. That's what she began doing, was just dumping Dumping. these bodies. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. So police raided her home on April 3rd and immediately struck by the stench of human... So this is the thing I don't understand. They were met with that smell, but mm-hmm. could not find any bodies. So all they, heard, all they smelled was decomposing bodies, mm-hmm. but couldn't find one anywhere. Yes. Okay. Which to me, I feel like you need a body. <laughs> I mean, if enough infants are dying, though, at a certain point, I'm sure the smell lingers. I guess. Especially then. They didn't have Bath and Body Works candles to light. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, they didn't even find any, like, human remains at all. Like, so, just no, nothing. Yeah. Just the stench. They did find evidence including white um, edging tape, telegraphs, and ad- about adoption arrangements, pawn tickets for children's clothing, and receipts for ads and letter from letters from mothers inquiring about the well-being of their children. Oh. Yeah. Like I said, some of these families were intending to come back and get their kids. That, I mean, that baby that I talked about that they found, her wrapped in packaging, her mother was, like, a barmaid or something. And she was, like, I'm going to come back. I'm going to, like, continue. Like, she wanted to send money frequently to Amelia. Oh. For the care of her child. Yeah. Um, And Amelia was, like, no, no, no. Just give me, like, a one-off payment. That's all I will take. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And then. Because I'm such a good person. Right. Six more babies were found after multiple rivers were, you know, dredged. All, and all babies were found with the same tape around their necks. So they're pretty sure that she's the one who did it. However, this was a common trade of baby farming and then just getting rid of the babies and dumping them wherever. So kind of hard to say, like, <laughs> whose murder is who. Right. <laughs> so one parcel in particular, which was spotted near Cla- Clapper's Pond, revealed a gruesome discovery. It was in more of an advanced state of decomp than any other bodies that they had recovered, so much so that when the parcel was opened, the body and head fell to pieces. Oh, I hate it. Amelia's trial began May 1896 at the Old Bailey and was actually only tried for the murder of four-month-old Doris Marmon. Amelia's defense attempted to prove insanity, but prosecution argued successfully that her her act, basically... That was what it was, and it was a ploy to avoid any kind of suspicion. Awesome. Yeah. They were like, yeah, no, that makes sense, because she had so much um, exposure to... Right. Like, she saw how the medical field worked from the inside. Yes. And knew those aspects of it, and so she could manipulate situations Absolutely. In a way. And she saw not only people who were mentally ill in these institutions, but her mother when she was younger. Right. On top of it. So, her motive for the murders was nothing other than greed. However, the true scale of her crimes is hard to estimate. At her most active, eyewitnesses reported to seeing as many as six babies a day being taken into her home. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And nobody thought that was weird? Wow, like six babies a day go into her house, but you hardly ever hear any babies crying. 
I don't know how involved neighbors got in other neighbors' affairs back then. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's true, but still annoying. Like, you have to, I don't know, you have to have a feeling that something's wrong. And I understand you can't do anything based on a feeling. But at the same time, yeah. like, if I have a weird feeling about you, I'm going to fucking pay attention to you. And you might not know that I'm paying more attention, but I'm, I am observant. Yeah. Of what's going on in my surroundings. And eventually, if my gut is correct, I will figure it out. I, I, I don't know why no one else got involved, but I mean, they I, multiple places said it's really hard to track any missing children or babies, to track the people involved in baby farming, because it, it was all just... Right, it's all under the table, it's all backdoor dealings, mm-hmm. essentially, because it's a shameful thing, or it was seen as a shameful yes. thing, even though it really should not have been. No. But you will be happy because the jury only took four and a half minutes to find her guilty. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Good job, guys. You did great. Amelia Dyer said, I have nothing to say before being dropped and hung on Wednesday, June 10th of 1896. Yeah, bitch. You surely don't. So you're not going to love this, but this is just an estimate, if you will. Mm -hmm. Amelia Dyer's career spanned about 30 years, and during that period, she's suspected of killing 300 children. Some places say even more than that. Yeah. However, the investigation of her also led to the creation of modern child protection laws. Oh, yay. And they also made adoption agencies and all of those laws to ensure the safety of children. Right. And babies. Thank God. Yes. And then I also told you this, but fun fact, since Amelia was alive and a serial killer during the Jack the Ripper killings, people have suggested that she was actually Jack the Ripper. Oh. Yes. However, there is no evidence to connect her to to those murders at all. But it's a fun theory. It is a fun theory. You know, that people enjoy. She's bitch. Yeah. Amelia also took up an older lady um, accomplice. Uh if you will and they had this like mother-daughter duo to sell even more Uh oh we're taking care of these yeah and they actually called this older lady like granny or something Uh to really feed them this idea can i tell you the creepiest thing Mm -hmm. like i don't know if you have this but like there is one particular memory that i have from saying on tv as a child Uh that to this day even in my adult life like freaks me out when I think about it mm-hmm. and it's made me think about it because it's an old woman okay who's sitting there and it's like she's sitting in a rocking chair knitting and reading this guy a story who's like laying in bed and the guy in bed is like really sweaty and she was like making I assume making him but he was like okay grandma or granny or whatever mm-hmm. and then like the shot zooms out and he's actually laying on a bed of needles Mm -hmm. and there are all these like really heavy objects like suspended over him. Okay. Yeah. No, I don't recall this at all in my memory. No, I mean, I'm sure you didn't see that exact (laughs) thing, but I mean like, is there anything like that that like you saw as a kid that freaked you out that still is just like, oh, I don't like that feeling that it gives me when I think about it. The idea of creepy old ladies, like, that's the first thing that I think about when I think about, like, creepy old killer um, ladies. No, but I don't like creepy little children. I don't like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I don't like those. I can't think of any, like, uh, maybe anything it's just me. <laughs> I mean, I, I, um, I don't know. I used to watch, like, horror movies as a kid. For I know. Enjoyment. I like, know. four years old. So, like, I realize it probably um, isn't the same for you. 
the only thing I can think of is that I had like a, a fear of, I guess, as a child was like static on TVs, like the not static, like the snow look yeah. because of the movie The Ring. Yeah. Because I saw that when I was like 10. That scared the shit out of me. Uh-huh. Yeah. But so whenever you see static on a TV, does a little piece of, like, a, a little, little bit, bit of your I'm brain like, is like... I'm like, god damn it. Those you're seven, like, oh. that seven, seven days really took a long time, but it's here now. Mm-hmm. Or Wells. Wells scared the shit out of me. Really? Yeah, I do not like Wells. All right. Don't like Wells at all. My parents would always joke. Like a wishing well or like an actual, like, usable well in the ground? Like the ones that have, I mean, I guess both. Mm-hmm. Like the one that's like you can see like the stone the, yes. around the side, yeah, and then like you that. can like lean my parents in and fall would always, over. We would drive past because we, my grandparents and my parents lived in the same house like most of my life. Well, my grandparents still lived in the same house, but there was a house in their neighborhood that had a well out front. And it was just like a fake one too. It was like one you get at like Lowe's. And yeah. Put you know. My parents would be like, Lindsay, we're going to buy that house. And I was like, guys, I don't like this. I'm actually traumatized <laughs> by Wells. And what about no? <laughs> yeah, so I don't, I don't fuck around with Wells. Well, we were pretty much shameless plugging. Oh, of course. You can go first we this time. We always <laughs> have to add the shameless plugging after talking about trauma. Follow us on Instagram at LuminalCocktailPod. Uh, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you can. If you listen to us on a platform that that's not available, then check out our Facebook page, which is Luminal Cocktail Podcast. So if you want to see any of the blog posts that go with these, well, not these, this episode, or any of the mini-sodes, you can find that all on the website, which also has links to all of our other social medias, and that's just luminalcocktail.com. Well, next time we're going to talk about serial killers. Just... The history of serial killers with the use of uh, the book Sons of Cain, right? Sons? Yeah. Yeah. So you can join us next time for another Luminol cocktail. Mm-hmm.